28 from the New Living Translation. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord oh, there we go, uh, came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women, Don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come see where his body was lying, and now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy, and they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. The report of the guard. As the the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and told the leading priests what had happened. A meeting with the elders was called, and they decided to give the soldiers a large bribe. They told the soldiers, You must say, Jesus, disciples, came during the night while we were sleeping, and they stole his body. If the governor hears about it, we'll stand up for you so you won't get in trouble. So the guards accepted the bribe and said what they were told to say. Their story spread widely among the Jews, and they still tell it today. Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Well, let the Lord bless the reading of his word to our hearts and minds uh, here today. Uh, my name is Kurt Buchanan, and uh, I'm the understudy uh, this week. Um, Pastor Steve Atkins was really hoping to be with you here this morning and uh, sharing about this Easter message, but uh, he's under the weather and at home uh, recovering. So you can send some love uh, and prayers for Steve and his family. Hi, Steve. Uh, anyways, so I hope you'll uh, not storm out uh, because you've got the understudy here. Um, but Steve contacted me and said, hey, I think I'm not going to be able to make it. Would you take a look at my notes and, and, and hop into the Easter message? And, it, and that's my privilege here this morning. So welcome to Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday is part two of a series that begins with Good Friday. It's a two-part series that has been taking place for a few thousand years now. Good Friday is about the death of Jesus Christ on the cross if you weren't able to attend our Good Friday service this year or didn't catch it online, uh, you know, live, uh, it's still out there on the Moose Jaw Fellowship for Evangelism YouTube channel. 
and it was a delight to be with so many other believers from various different churches, to partner together as pastoral staff and worship teams and all of the media people uh, to really have a great day together. And we were together beholding the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And uh, we sang together, Worthy is the Lamb. So again, Easter Sunday is part two, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But before we dive in, I I wonder if we can just consider for a moment the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, that he would be willing to give up his life for us. On January uh, 13th, 1982, Air Florida Flight 90, taking off from Washington, D.C., crashed into the Potomac River. It was winter, and the river was full of ice. The crash happened near a bridge going over the river, and so there was a TV crew that was actually able to get right up to the bridge and see everything that was happening. And millions of viewers sitting in their living rooms watched as a helicopter overhead let down a life belt on a line to a man struggling in the water. He grabbed the line, and he gave it to another survivor, clipped it to the woman, and she was hoisted up to safety. The helicopter again let down the line, And the man did the same thing. He gave the line to someone else, and he rescued them. He saved others before finally, exhausted, he himself drowned. And uh, even in a more amazing way, Jesus comes to save us in a similar way, that he gives up his life for us. He gave up his life for each of us. The brilliant professor of philosophy at the London University, C.E.M. Jode, was not a Christian. He was asked on a radio program, if you could meet any person and ask them just one question, whom would you meet and what question would you ask? And Professor Jode answered without hesitation, I would meet Jesus Christ and ask him the most important question in the world. Did you or did you not rise from the dead? There came a day where Professor Jode answered uh, that for himself. He looked at the evidence and he encountered Jesus himself. He wrote a book called Recovery of Belief. If Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, it changes everything. When New Testament writers point to the love of God, they look at the cross. When they speak of the power of God, they point to the resurrection. You know, Paul says it in Ephesians, this incomparably great power was exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. God's power on display. The most important event in all of history is the resurrection. It means that Jesus is who he said he is and that he accomplished what he said he would. So, first let's consider if it really happened. And then... Let's consider what that would mean to us if it did. So did it really happen? Now the resurrection of the dead sounds unbelievable. Since most people that die don't come back to life, though we often hope they would. So it's understandable that people that hear about the resurrection of Jesus are doubtful. It seems unbelievable. Even though it seems unbelievable, most people hope that it's true. If it's available, most people want eternal, abundant life. 
It's not enough just to kind of believe and not wrestle with this question. See, Christianity is a faith that's based in reality. Other religions maybe are not as much, but this is based in reality. Because see, the gospel at the very center of the Christian message is about an event in our history that happened to a real person. That much is undeniable. But here are some common objections to the reality of the resurrection. Lots of people think it's just become a legend over time. That Jesus was a a historical figure, he was a a good man, he was a moral teacher, but over time, uh, his kind of followers and the legends kind of grew to the point where you had all of these other miracles that were being added in as the story was more and more exaggerated, even to the point where they were exaggerating about his resurrection from the dead. Many people even now, if you were to talk to, might think something like that. But the New Testament documents that we have, uh, the letters written, the Gospels, the Epistles, they were written within the lifetime of eyewitnesses of these events. See, the resurrected Jesus appeared before 500 people, most of whom were still alive when Paul was writing 1 Corinthians chapter 15. See, there's no time for this to become a legend. And there were living witnesses everywhere that could have been questioned. Both followers and people who were not followers of Jesus could give their accounts as witnesses to what happened. So, I don't think it's a legend. I didn't become a legend over time. Others just say it was just a lie. You know, somehow they came up with this idea The disciples had to steal the body and they could come up with this idea for a resurrection. But if the disciples did steal the body, their whole lives thereafter would be based on a lie. Here's a quote from Charles Coulson. I know the resurrection is a fact and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because... Twelve men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. They then proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. You're telling me that 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. The other thing is the disciples didn't expect Jesus to rise from the dead. Despite the fact that Jesus kept speaking about it over and over and over again. They didn't get it. It's actually one of the most embarrassing parts of their journeys as disciples. They only understood that after encountering the resurrected Jesus. Beyond this, um, again, the disciples were um, terrified. They were running for their lives. They were scattered. They weren't coming up with a great scheme. Wouldn't it be funny if, or, you know, maybe this could go well for us politically, or whatever. All of the motivations seem more unbelievable than the truth. The other idea is that the, the tomb was heavily guarded. They couldn't have just walked up and taken his body again because 
Everyone was watching this, right? All of his followers, all of the religious leaders, all of the politicians, you know, all of the Roman guards and soldiers, everybody was watching what was happening in this moment. So how could they possibly have uh, stolen the bodies? Again, the women show up, we read it today, the women show up and all of the guards are actually, they fainted, they're, they're dead nearly, it seems like. They're unconscious on the ground. Again, that is a miracle already, just to make that happen. So stealing the body would have taken a miracle. Why not instead believe in the resurrection as a miracle? If it was a lie, where did they get the power to, to live such radically different lives? They lived lives of compassion and love that brought transformation throughout their whole society. Again, cowards running away, scattered and dismayed. And something happened to change all of that. Another idea is that, again, that Jesus never actually died, that he perhaps uh, suffered, but that he survived and then kind of sneaked away into history. But Jesus' body already had signs of rigor mortis before it was removed from the cross. The Roman soldiers who oversaw the crucifixion and who pierced Jesus' body with a spear reported this. Okay, they reported this to the early church. Uh, you can read about that in, in John's Gospel. Uh, there, there was a Roman centurion who was overseeing this whole thing beyond just the soldiers that were involved. He was overseeing it. He saw that he was dead. He reported it to Pilate, the leader, uh, the political leader at the time. Again, it's not a legend. It's not a lie. Jesus really did come to our world, die on the cross, and was raised to life. And here are some reasons why we can have confidence in the reality of the resurrection. The empty tomb, the appearances of Jesus, the transformed disciples, the impact on history, and the experience of billions. We can have confidence, or let's take a look at why we can have confidence that the tomb was empty or that there were these appearances. Uh, it's simply the evidence as reported. There were eyewitnesses. Um, there was investigation. People were asking questions. You know, we read about how the religious leaders were trying to slant it and lean it and come up with a lie, and they were paying people off. But there was investigation. Um, believers were looking into this. The religious leaders were trying to figure out what happened and why. And the political leaders were all involved. Many people were questioned, right? The women the, the, are the first witnesses to Jesus' resurrection. No one would have made this up. See, women were not considered as reliable witnesses in court at that time. If you were trying to fabricate, uh, fabricate anything and wanted people to believe it, you would not use women as the witnesses. Let alone if you were trying to get people to believe in resurrection from the dead. These women would have still been alive when the New Testament was being written. They were witnesses to the resurrection to the resurrected Jesus, and they lived among the people of the early church for many years. And not just these first witnesses, but many others saw him, Jesus, after the resurrection and interacted with him over a period of 40 days. The now 11 disciples, the women who were at the cross, many other believers. In fact, again, over 500 people. You can read about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. There was eyewitnesses. 
Now, some try to dismiss these 500-some-plus witnesses by saying, uh, again, these were his followers. Uh, they were gullible. They were kind of just caught up in some kind of cult. They weren't thinking for themselves. But I don't believe that's true. I believe the eyewitnesses were credible. See, many of these witnesses and people being interviewed were not followers of Jesus. So they didn't have the motive to lie about all of this. There were the soldiers who were at the cross. There was the centurion over, over again overseeing the crucifixion, giving reports again to Pilate. They would have been able to follow up on all of these details. And there were the soldiers that were guarding the tomb who experienced this earthquake. Those were not necessarily followers of Jesus. And the disciples were not misled, tricked, or simply gullible. And, and we can see that here in the text. A little phrase that says, some doubted. <laughs> um, how, how do you think that could possibly be an encouragement to us this morning, that some doubted? But it actually is. See, they didn't have the science and technology that we do, but that didn't make them more gullible or less intelligent. Over time, uh, human IQ, I don't think, is actually on the rise. Sometimes we feel that way because we're kind of propped up by Google, right? But it's not the case. These people were thinking through, again, these, these are people from a Jewish background. They had already been studying the Word of God, trying to understand, thinking about this. I mean, they were working through the nature of God and humanity, of salvation. They were thinking about all of these things, meditating on these things all the time. They missed lots of it, like we do, but they weren't just gullible. See, they had their doubts about what happened uh, what was happening and what would happen, what it all meant, um, but it was perhaps for a different reason than you or I might have doubts. See, Jews believed in the resurrection of the body, and that was going to be something that happened at the end of time, not a resurrection that would happen in the middle of time. They understand, and actually this is probably fairly accurate, that what they actually see when you see someone raising, you know, Jesus doing a miracle and raising someone to life, you might actually want to call that something like they were revived, not necessarily resurrected. They were revived. They were alive again. But all of those people who were revived, you know, many would know the story of Lazarus coming out of the tomb at, at Jesus' call. Um, he was revived, but again, he didn't live forever in that state. He was revived, but again, he died. All of the people that have been revived in the, in the scripture, again, would have um, died. And so this idea of resurrection, the new body showing up in the middle of history, would have shattered this Jewish understanding of how, that's, how the resurrection at the end of time was going to work. They were trying to figure it out. Because here you had Jesus, someone who was dead now in front of them. Uh, he was walking through locked doors as if they weren't even there, as if he could somehow slip through the fabric of the universe and, and show up in a different place, and yet he could eat a fish. Um, you see, he's nearly kind of teleporting from one place to another, appearing before people. Um, and yet, people were falling down at his feet, worshiping him and clasping his feet. They could really hold on to him. See, they may have had different reasons for, than us for doubting, but they weren't just gullible. They weren't just simple and going along with it all. Their, again, their worldview was being challenged, and they were thinking things through. They weren't gullible. Now, I have to admit... Thinking about this evidence as reported, how corroborative it was within this timeline, the idea that it's just all made up, that it's a legend, that it's a lie, there's some other explanation, to me starts to sound more far-fetched that you're grasping at straws to make any other case than that he did. 
uh, come back in a resurrected form and see these people, that he did come back to life, that the resurrection is true, a reality. But beyond, again, uh, wrestling with the question of did it really happen, I think that's something we all have to do. Uh, I think we have to look at the transformation of the disciples, not just the evidence as reported, but the effect that it had on all of these people. Beyond these eyewitness accounts and the evidence for the empty tomb and the appearances of Jesus after his death, there's the transformation of his followers. See, the disciples were discouraged. They were frightened. Only the miracle of the resurrection could have transformed them. Their lives were changed by an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. They went from fear to faith in a matter of weeks, running from danger and persecution to facing it head on for the sake of the gospel message of spreading that message to others. Many of them gave their lives for the sake of the gospel. Think about Peter. Peter was a man who went from denying Jesus to preaching about Jesus in a matter of weeks. What could make that drastic difference? Then again, you have the the impact of Christianity throughout the world, throughout history. That's evidence of the reality of the resurrection. Billions of people have had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. Currently, there are over 2 billion Christians around the world. 2.3 some, nearly 2.4 billion Christians around the world. For context, that's just a little bit less than Facebook users. Okay? Just for, just for context, that number in the world. Can you imagine someone trying to make the case that Facebook didn't really exist? <laughs> did it really happen? Again, we all need to ask that question for ourselves. But if it did, what does it mean? Uh, Andy Stanley, uh, a pastor in the States, he said, if someone predicts their own death and resurrection and then pulls it off, you just go with whatever they say. (laughs) Again, it, it stops all of our attention and focus. The resurrection, Jesus laying his life down and then taking it up again. We all have to stop and pause and look and think about what this is. And I think I'm with Andy. I'm going to go with whatever he says. But what does it mean? It means that every promise that God made to us will come true. If the resurrection happened, it means that Jesus is Lord and Savior. It means that salvation is available to everyone through him. It means that our sins can be forgiven. It means we can find healing. It means we can have hope. It means we too can be transformed into confident, courageous people who can be filled with love and compassion and bring transformation to our world. It means that nothing we experience in life is beyond his sovereign power. Even if we are experiencing the suffering of the cross in our own lives, it is not the end. He can overrule suffering. He can overrule death. It means we have the same power that Christ was raised from the dead. We can have that same power living in us. It means that we can one day be resurrected like him. 
will both be recognizable and unrecognizable in our new bodies. The whole of creation is going to be made new. It means that when he says, go into all of the world, making disciples of all nations, we can, because along with his command comes his power and his presence. He promises, I am with you always. When we receive him as Lord, he is personally with us. He is also present with us in the community of faith, the church. We become the presence of Christ to to each other as he indwells us by his spirit. It really is true. Jesus is risen. And death and burial are not the end. In Christ, you too will be raised from the dead. Did it really happen? I think we can have confidence that it did. He is risen indeed. And what does it mean? I think we could go on and on for some time meditating on all of that means. But I want to take a moment just to stop and not think about what does it mean, but what does it mean to me? Would you think about that for a moment? He, he is inviting you, drawing each of us to come closer to him. Not to just to kind of say, I can see how it's possible. Not just to say, I'm glad that Jesus has become risen and is Lord and still somehow remain distant and unchanged. How many of you um, believe that there was a real moon landing? Anybody out there? A real moon landing? How many of you don't think there was a real moon landing? How many of you live your life differently now, whether that's true or not? But if Jesus is risen, if he is Lord, if he is our Savior, it has to affect us all personally. Now, maybe you have never made a decision to follow Jesus, to make him Lord and Savior. This is a great opportunity now as we consider the death of Jesus, but the resurrection of Jesus This is a simple prayer. Um, You can echo along with me as I pray this. This is also a prayer anyone can pray at any time, just giving thanks to the Lord and committing your life to him. Would you repeat after me as I give this prayer? If this is your first time praying through something like this, putting your faith in Jesus, would you uh, let us know? We would love to have a conversation with you about the reality of Jesus. So would you pray along with me? Dear Father, Thank you that you love me and sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. I put my trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Help me to live a life that honors you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, you can stop repeating after me. I thought that might get awkward if we did the rest of the sermon back and forth. See, Jesus took our place and defeated death and sin on our behalf. And he didn't just die for us. He was resurrected for us. And he offers to live in us to lead us, and to give us a life of victory and purpose. Uh, As we come to the end of our uh, message and our service 
This morning, we're going to look uh, at uh, baptisms that are going to be uh, happening. In just a moment, we're going to play that video, but just as we come to a close. Baptism is celebrating and acting out this idea that we are sinners and that because we are sinners, we deserve death. And that we put to death uh, our old way, our old life, our sinful self, and we are put into the water of baptism. And there we leave our old sinful self, but again come out of the water uh, in anticipation of the resurrection of our bodies that we will experience at the end of time. Uh, and, and this idea that we step into new life through the power of the Holy Spirit to live a life filled with that confidence. Again, the, all of the followers of Jesus had this um, profound experience with the resurrected Jesus. And these people... Uh, came out in this transformed way. Uh, We're going to pray as well for these people who are being baptized this morning, that they would experience the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives, that they would become like these followers of Jesus who, against faced all kinds of persecution uh, and odds to bring that message um, to someone else who would take it to someone else who would take it to someone else, so much so that in many of our lives, that message came to us It came to me, and I'm grateful for that. Uh, Let me pray with you, and then we're going to roll this uh, baptism video. Lord Jesus, thank you. For demonstrating your love on the cross. We are awestruck at the power displayed in the resurrection. Would you help us? to see that your life uh, is offered to us, that we can take hold of you, of your righteousness. We can have hope in you and what you have done. We can lay all of our striving and doing down and instead rest in what you have done. Thank you, Jesus. I pray for anyone who's uh, here today or watching this that doesn't know you, I pray that they would put their faith in you, that your spirit would draw them in. Help us to be the kind of community that welcomes many, many more people into your kingdom for discipleship and for sending them out after an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Hi. My name is Naomi Riley, and a little bit about myself is that I'm 11 years old and I'm in grade six. Hi, my name is Nevaeh, I'm 14 years old, and I go to Peacock College in, in Moosejaw, Saskatchewan. Hi, my name is Kyra, I go to Cornerstone Christian School, I'm in grade 10, and I like playing flight football, acting, I go to Hillcrest Youth Group, and I also do Bible quizzing. Some of my hobbies are volleyball, basketball, flake football, and track and field. I like playing the drums and I love playing baseball. I have two younger brothers and one younger sister, so I am the oldest. Another thing about me is that there's nine people in my family. Some of the things I'm interested in is basketball, exploring new ways to connect and grow with God, and hanging with friends on days I have off, and many other things. The people in my life that have had an impact on my faith has been Nevaeh, Linnea, Jaden, and Chris and JJ. 
They've had an impact on how I see God and how I relate to others during, um, during youth group. I also have learned that it's okay to be able to um, express your journey with God and not everyone's going to have the exact same journey. Um, during youth retreats, we've had a lot of cries together and a lot of laughs together, but through all that, I've learned the community and the fellowship that can come along with being a follower of Christ. There has been many events that have brought me to faith, but some of the main ones are the Eston Youth Retreat, Kettleston Gospel Camp, and youth groups. I would say the lead pastors here at Hillcrest, Jeremy at Victory Church, have had very powerful messages and really have encouraged me to get to know God and come on those youth retreats. It has been really important to have Corey in my life because she's been there for my mom, she's been there for me. Most of all, she has helped me through a lot. She is the one who brought me to God, brought me to church, brought me to get to know Him, and so much more. My teacher has been really helpful when I have anxiety. When I do, she takes me out to the hall and she prays for me. It makes me feel a lot better. My family is a big part in that too. Also, the youth groups that I go to can help with my day if they're off. Now that Jesus is a part of my life, I've seen a change in how I see the world. I can see it in color, but not only that, I can also see on the parts where I've erred and how um, God needs to be the center of my life and not people around me and not the objects that I've put in my life that were first. I've been able to see the good instead of the bad in every situation and just being able to engage with people on the levels I haven't before. One time at youth group, I invited a friend here. She said she couldn't come again. So I just started to feel like she didn't want to come, and she, but she wasn't telling me. And then the, the video that we watched that night, it was about asking people to youth group. I felt like God was talking to me. The moment where I decided to have Jesus in my life was March 18, 2022 at Eston College. It was the last, ne last night and um, I was crying because I could keep on hearing this voice in my head going on and on saying, Nevaeh, I'm here. I'm always going to be here for you no matter what. you got to listen to me. I'm not going to doubt you. And then JJ came over and he started praying over me and I just was shaking so badly and I didn't know what it was. I was like telling God, give me a sign, it's you. And the sign was me shaking and that's the moment where I knew God's here. God is really wanting me to take the next step in my faith. God has really made me feel like he's always there no matter what because he also has made so much miracles happen in my life that I never thought would happen. If I'm scared, I know that I can always turn to God and that I can pray to him. I don't feel alone, and I know he's there if I need him. I want to be baptized because I want to publicly declare that I am a follower of Christ. I want to leave my old body of sin and death behind me and live in the new living plants of God and learn how to live the way that he wants me to live. The reason I want to be baptized is because I want to take the next step in my faith. I want to be baptized because I want to have my entire life with God, no matter what challenges or doubts I may face against Him. I also want to be baptized because without God, I don't know if I'd be here today, nor would miracles in my life happen. Baptism to me 
means that you want to show people that you're a follower of Christ and that um, they can support you. One of my favorite verses is John 10.10. 10. It says, the thief only comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I like this verse because it reminds me that the thief, like the devil, only wants to come to ruin all the plans that God has for my life and that um, through Christ, he has no hold over that. John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believed in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And that's meaning that I'm gonna have eternal life with God after I get baptized. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be silent. Amen. Thank the Lord. Is there anywhere else that you'd rather be this Easter Sunday than right here? I don't think so. Uh, I'm Pastor Chris Strinden. I'm on staff here at Hillcrest, and it's my honor to walk us through, kind of host us through our baptisms uh, today. Um, you know, it's been a long-standing history for hundreds and hundreds of years where the church would baptize on Easter Sunday uh, new converts to the faith. And in fact, there's a time in history where Sunday, Easter Sunday was actually the only day that they did baptisms. And you would spend a whole year getting ready. And now, of course, in our faith tradition, we believe any, like, any time is a good, a good time to dunk somebody. If there's a profession of faith uh, in Jesus, you, we don't want you to wait. We want you just to step out in obedience and, and take that step. And I, I couldn't be prouder of these young ladies that are making this decision today. I got to tell you, there's, a, there's a, a thread connecting all three of these girls, and that's junior high youth group here at Hillcrest Church. It is phenomenal what God is doing in that program. Every week... Every week, we have new kids showing up. Uh, we, used to, we used to count it as sort of like one-third, one-third, one-third. One-third is Hillcrest core kids that just love coming out. Another third is that third of kids from other churches who just love youth groups so much, they'll go to everyone in town, okay? The other third are completely unchurched kids without a background in faith, and the reason they come, it's not because JJ's so funny, which he is. It's not 